Wow, it's amazing. It's great to, to be here today. And it's great to see the church packed like this. It's good. We still have more, more work to do, you know. There's all those chairs, they need to be filled. Amen? You believe that? Yes. 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 It's a beautiful morning. I'm so excited. I'm so happy to see uh, those uh, youth fella, uh, fellas uh, being baptized today. You know, reminded me of my baptism a long time ago, you know, like 10 years ago. Uh, no kidding. I was 15 when I was baptized in Argentina, on, not in a hot tub like this, actually, <laughs> just uh, a pool, a little pool. Uh, and I still remember that day. It was, it was great. So I thought that today, you know, we will, you know, time will be shorter, but this is a decent amount of time that I'm having right here, 45 minutes or, or longer. So get ready. Talk to your neighbor and say, get ready for a long sermon. Come on. <laughs> get ready. We have 36 verses to cover. We are studying uh, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 11 today, verses 1 to 36. I rehearsal at home. It took me 20 minutes to go through all those verses at home, <laughs> but you never know here. So... Um, I, I, I put a title to the sermon today. The title is, There's Hope. And I want you to turn to your neighbor now with faith and, and tell him this. Brother or sister, there is hope in God. That's why we are here. There is hope. While we were singing, the Holy Spirit uh, put this image in my head of Zoe, my daughter. She's uh, four. She's turning five next week. Can't believe it. <laughs> And at, um, he spoke to me and he told me, uh, you know, you are like Zoe. Well, all right, Lord, what do you mean with that? That whenever Zoe calls your name, you show up, you are, you are right there. And it is the same with, with me. Whenever you call my name, I show up and I'm there. So if today you are here with a need, you know what you have? beloved father wants to do for you he wants to meet your needs if you're here maybe sick he wants to meet you right there he wants to heal you if you're going through a hard time and this is a this is a word that holy spirit put in my heart two weeks ago the word is season if you're going through a season a hard season maybe a season where you're feeling like you're all alone the Holy Spirit is here to tell you you're not alone. I'm with you. The Father is here to tell you I love you. I love you in a way that you can never imagine. How far, how big, how huge is my love for you. So there is hope. There is hope. Amen? Amen. So let's start reading. Romans 11, open your Bible. You, you can follow me through scriptures here on the screen. I'm so happy also to see all those uh, new folks that are visiting us, visiting us today. I, um, I got to talk to Ruben right there. Uh, right there. He's from BC. Welcome. Yeah, I know that there's uh, maybe more people, maybe new, new people today at church. Feel welcome. Uh, this is your place. This is your house. This is your family. And as we say here in, in our West family, family Church, we share life together. So let's read Romans chapter 11. The sermon today, the title is, There's Hope. Verse 1 and 2 says, 
I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means, says Paul. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? So twice in this passage, twice in this chapter, the Apostle Paul asks the questions, Asked the question, did, did God reject his people? And after their, re, their rejection of the person of Jesus and his crucifixion and the whole story, remember? That was something that probably they were thinking, like, did God reject us? Really? After all the covenants? After the, everything he said to Abraham, our, our father? So here Paul is saying, by no means, God doesn't reject anyone. Amen? God doesn't reject Anyone. He doesn't care, you know, about your past. He doesn't care how good or bad you are. He doesn't care if you speak uh, English, Spanish, uh, German, whatever. He doesn't care about your race. He doesn't care about your social status or your economy right now. He doesn't care. He doesn't reject anyone. He just loves everyone. He loves everybody. Isn't that amazing? He loves everybody. He loves us. God is not finished with Israel. And that's something that Paul is trying to explain to them. God is not finished with you. And just like God was not finished with Israel, God is not finished with you. He will fulfill the promise He made to His people. And He will uh, fulfill the promises He made to you. You know, I'm uh, since, uh, since, well... Kevin said that uh, it's been almost a year since we moved here to Canada. And before moving here, I was not used to doing any kind of journaling or anything like that. But since I moved to Canada, I noticed, well, these Canadians, they like to write. You know, I I met a lot of people who told me, you know, journaling is good. You should journal. You should, you know, write down your thoughts and write down what the Holy Spirit speaks to you. So I started doing it. Since then, Holy Spirit has been talking to me every day on a daily basis and I, I get to write down what he tells me and, it, and like on Friday night I spend the whole night uh, reading everything that he told me during the year. It was one in the morning I was just sitting there you know in front of the fire because it was so cold. Everybody was sleeping and I just stayed there with my journal and the Bible reading everything that the Lord talked to me during this year. And you know what? I found out that a lot of my prayers have been answered. <laughs> a lot of them. Like having a baby. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, having a baby is awesome. <laughs> We're having a baby in January with Megan. We have a name. It's a secret. Now I'll tell you. <laughs> so, I invite you today. And you, if you have a bulletin in your hands, you will, you will see my sermon there. You know, kind of my the outline that I'm following today, but you will find five listening exercises that you can use this week in your devotional time. Use them. You know, ask questions to God. He's your father. He wants to respond to you. He wants to talk to you. So here we see, we see God telling to Israel, I'm not done with you. And also, we can receive today this word to us. God is not finished with you. Verses 3 to 6, it says, Lord... They have killed your prophets and turned down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. These are the words from Elijah when he was suffering the persecution of Jezebel. And he was like, Lord, I'm alone. 
I'm the only prophet that left. And then verse 4 says, And what was God's answer to him? Says Paul, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to, to Baal, Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, verse 6, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would not longer be grace. So after explaining the election and place of Israel in God's redemptive plan, Paul cites the example of Elijah in verses 2 to 6. I love the story of Elijah. Don't you? The man of God. The man that one time, you know, Ahab said, okay, I'm going to get rid of Elijah. Elijah was on a hill. He was praying. And uh, Ahab said, I'm going to send my, my army to him. So he took his favorite general and said, okay, take 50 of your best men and go and get Elijah. Bring him down from, that, from the top of that hill and kill him. You know what happened? Elijah was there and this army came to him and said, hey, man of God, calm down. We are here for you. We're going to kill you. You know what he said? Yes, if I'm the man of God, let God send fire and kill you. You know what happened? You know the story? Fire came down and killed that whole army. You know that God, why God was so close to Elijah? Why? Because he walked with God. All the time. Every day. He was anointed. And his favorite place was on top of the hill. That represents prayer. If you are suffering persecution right now, I'm going to show you what's your best plan. What's your best escape. You know what's your best place to hide from persecution? In the arms of your loving Father through prayer. Pray. Get a prayer partner. You know, I'm going through this. I need help. That's why we need the church. Because we need, you know, people. We can't do these things called life by, your, by ourselves, right? We can't. So, I just want to share that with you. And here Paul quotes the example of Elijah, brings, brings in Elijah into the story. And there was a time in the life of the prophet Elijah where he thought he was the only one left. Have you ever felt that way? I'm the only one believing. I'm the only one doing something for this family. Have you ever felt that way? Well, God's answer to Elijah was, you're not alone. Not only I'm with you, there are 7,000 other people who are still seeking my presence. You're not alone. You have a team. You can trust in other, in, in other fellow believers. You can find your prayer partner and, and pray with him or her and and at, uh, endure this persecution, endure this trial, and receive your victory. This verse shows that God has chosen also remnant in Israel by His grace. Elijah, in his despair, thought Israel would be extinguished, but God assured him that he had preserved a remnant. He was definitely not alone. God always has a remnant, and you will never be alone. Let me tell you this. Jesus died alone so that we should not have to. He died alone, so, so now we, we can be part of something bigger than ourselves. We, 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 we can be part of His people. We can be part of His church. Amen? Aren't you excited about this? You know, come on. Look at 
Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm excited being your brother, being your sister. Wow, this is great. You know? Yeah. <laughs> this is great. I'm not alone. Today, this morning, this Sunday, I'm hearing that God is with me, that there is hope, and I'm not alone. I can trust other people. I can talk to other people. I can receive prayer from other people. I can pray for someone. You know? I can, I can talk to someone. I can say, you know... Let's meet this week. Let's have a coffee. Let's talk. I, I need your help. I need you. Okay, I'm right there for you. Because we are brothers. We are brothers in Christ. And we are a family. Verses 7 to 10 says, What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. Stupor? 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 That's a hard word. Friend, ah, in Spanish is estupor, so <laughs> I thought it was the same estupor, but stupor. All right, teacher, great, she's my teacher 24 7. Eyes that could not see, and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David, verse 9, I'm reading verse 9, says, And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. God allowed that a part of Israel may be hardened so the Gentiles could partake also of his plan of salvation. But Israel hardening is not God's final word over them. You will see that in this chapter. God has a plan for Israel. The plan of God is that all Israel will be saved. But for the time, their hearts needed to be hardened. Why? Because God needs to do something through this. There are seasons in our lives. There are, you know, times, specific times where we feel maybe like this. Why my heart is like this? Why, why am I going through this? Well, let me tell you that God, in the same way that God is for Israel, He's for you. And in the same way that you, that you are going through, you know, just like Israel, let me tell you this. That, that season will end. It will not last forever. And it has a purpose. Because God has the final word over any situation you might be going through. The final word is God's. God has the final word in everything. Are you having problems with your marriage? The final word comes from God. He has the final word. Are you having financial problems? God has the final word. Are you having issues with your children? God has the final word. We can trust in His word. His word never fails. Never fails. He's the father that when he promised something, he would do it. He will fulfill his promises. Otherwise, he's not God. He's that kind of God. A personal God. That knows your heart. That knows what is going on inside of you. That knows what you live in. He knows your season. He knows everything. And he's here to tell you, I'm going to fulfill my promises in your life. Because I'm your father. And I protect you, and I bless you, and I love you. That's the figure that we need to have of God. Just like, you know, you take your kids and you say, Hey kids, come on, I'm going to share with you a story of, of how I met mommy. That's a good story, right? How, how, how we met. And then you, you share to your kid, you know, your story. 
God is doing the same with us through this book. He's sharing with us his story. And in that story, you are part of that story. Your name is being written. He has plans for you and he wants to fulfill those plans. Maybe you are feeling like, well, this is hard. This is a hard season. Well, those are the best seasons for God to work on us. He used those, those seasons to shape our hearts, to model our character, you know, to work in us so we can grow, so we can be better, so we can grow in Him. And we, at the end, we will be a blessing for others. That's what God wants to do in you. He has the final word over any situation. This is the first listening exercise that I put in the, in the sermon today. It says this, it's a prayer. Lord, what do you want to teach me in this season of my life? And if we would have the time, I would have loved to right now just stop here and take a moment, personal moment, to just be you know, silent before the Lord and ask myself this question. Lord, what do you want to teach me in this season? I encourage you to ask the Lord that. Maybe not now because of time, but at home, take the bulletin. Ask the Lord these questions. Lord, what do you want to teach me? In this season of my life. Let's read now verses 11 to 16. Verse 11 says. Again I ask. Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather because of their transgression. Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world. And their loss means riches for the Gentiles. How much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I am talking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry. In the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruit is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches." Verses 11 and 12 show us that Israel's loss is the world's riches. We all need to lose something in order to gain something, you know? We all do. When, when you get married, right? You need to lose some of maybe those habits that you had before in order to gain a better relationship and understanding with your spouse, with your, spouse, with your wife. So we all need to lose something in order to gain something. Here God was was willing to lose for a time his connection with his beloved nation, Israel, in order to gain your attention. Wow. He said, Israel, I love you, but I love the world. I love everybody. So just for a season, just for a season, we're going to stop this, and I need to reach everybody. And then I will call you back. That's what God is doing with Israel right now. Why? Because he's calling us the Gentiles. The nations to come to him. And I believe that Canada is the nation that God has chosen to fulfill this word. The word of God needs to be preached to all the nations. And in Canada we are receiving citizens and people from all over the world. So they may hear the, God, the word of God. And they can repent and come to salvation. And then you know what will happen? The king is coming. The king is coming. And then you know what? Israel and the church 
one people, one covenant, the covenant of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So there are sacrifices that we also, we, we will need to make if we really want to move forward and reach God's promises. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to take, or you need to make a sacrifice. Take up your cross, deny to yourself, and follow me. So my question is, what are you willing to lose or sacrifice in order to see other people come into Christ? Because we want to see multitudes come into the Lord. Amen? Yes or no? Yes or no? I don't want only four. I want 40. Next year, right? 40, lo voy a decir en español para que quede claro. 40. We need to multiply. We need to grow. Not from, you know, oh, because then we will feel better about our church. No, because there are people that are dying right there. Out there. In the streets. Seniors that are not receiving the gospel. That are not visited by, by relatives or family. Children that both parents, you know, split. And they are just pushed into society like that. Families, marriages that are being, you know, attacked by the enemy. And they need the gospel. They desperately need the gospel. You know why? Because all, all of us need hope. And only the gospel brings hope to men. Only the gospel. So the next question to you is, that you, you, you may use this week in your devotionals, is Holy Spirit, show me three things that you want me to surrender before you and even sacrifice so I can see my relationship with you and others to strengthen and grow. Are you willing to, to ask the Lord that? That's going to be too personal, eh? Three things. What could it be that you need to surrender to the Lord? That I need to surrender to the Lord? Paul's longing is to see some of his people come to salvation. And these verses show us that there's hope for Israel. That that hope is God's acceptance. There's always hope in God. Now, Israel's Israel trespass will open salvation for the Gentiles. And the Jews, in turn, will be provoked to jealousy when they see Gentiles being saved and enjoying a relationship with God. Now, my question is, are you, or me, are we making some unbelievers jealous of our relationship with God? Or isn't it that we are sometimes jealous of their lifestyle, of you know how they're doing, and they don't have the Lord? How can you be jealous of them? <laughs> Makes no sense. You have it all. You have Jesus. <laughs> you have it all. So there's always hope in, 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 in our God, in Jesus. Verse 15 shows us that brokenness and repentance are the keys to the great spiritual revivals that we long to see in Canada. Because we need to understand, when Paul speaks in verse 15, he uses this word. He says, For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance? And we know that we are accepted by God when we come before Him, uh, recognizing our sins. Broken and in a state of repentance, we say, Lord, forgive me. Then you are accepted and you come to Him and, and He embraces you and He heals you and He delivers you. But first, you and me, we need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm just broken. I need you. I'm repented. Paul says that 
when Israel, when Israel will experience that, you know, they will come before the Lord in repentance and they will say to Jesus, Jesus, we are sorry. We are sorry for your crucifixion. We are sorry for not believing in you. You are the Messiah. When that will take place, Paul says that what will happen is that they will experience the power of the resurrection. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And you know what, what is the power of the resurrection? Life from the dead? That means revival. Ezekiel 37, the prophet saw a valley full of dry bones. What happened? Revival. How the revival came? Repentance. Brokenness before the Lord. Brokenness. Lord, we need you. We are broken. Lord, we can't do this without you. We need your presence. Then, what happened? The bones came to life. Revival. In verse 16, Paul makes use of two illustrations to explain the same truth. He, he says, he talks about the first fruit and the root. And probably they, they refer to the patriarchs and the saving promises given to them, given to Israel. If the first fruit and root are consecrated to God, so too are the dough and the branches, the Jewish people as a whole. But this doesn't mean that every Jewish person will be saved. But it does indicate that God will be faithful to his promises and seems to imply that in the future many more Jews will be saved. But this is also a spiritual principle for you and me. We are called to dedicate to God everything that is first in our lives. The first part of everything we have and everything we earn. That's why we tithe. We want to dedicate to God our finances, our economy, our jobs. Because we know that He deserves all the glory. We know that everything that we have came first from Him. Kevin just shared that with us a moment ago. Everything comes from Him. That's why we tithe. That's why we bring our offerings. Because we want to recognize Him as our Lord and Savior. Not the money. The Lord. Jesus is our Lord. Verses 17 to 21 says, If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now sharing the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Well, granted, says Paul, but they were broken, broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. You know what? In Christ, there's no room for arrogance in us. There's no room for arrogance, for pride. The people of God are, are, are portrayed here as an olive tree. And Paul says that some branches have been broken off. So he's probably referring, he's probably speaking of the majority of the Jews of his day that rejected the gospel. We Gentiles are described as a wild olive shoot. Okay? Nobody turning to, to the neighbor to see, you know, how, how wild the neighbor is. Wild olive true. Wild olive shoot. That's how, that's how we are portrayed in the Bible. Paul says that we have been grafted into the olive tree and now sharing the root. The promises made to the patriarch. So when you read the Old Testament, you see God promising something to Abraham. Because you are part of this olive tree. You know what? That promise is also for you. I thought that someone will believe that today. 
a couple of you, that's okay. That's all right. God has promises. God is the God of promises. But his promises are different than ours. Ours are, you know, I promise, yes, sweetie, uh, we will get you that for Christmas. <laughs> and then we forget, we can make it, we don't have the money, whatever. But God is not like that. When he promised something, yes. he do it. He fulfill his promises. In verse 18, Paul exhorts us to not consider ourselves superiors to other branches. In, in this case, he was speaking to the Gentiles in the Church of Rome. Seems like in the Church of Rome, they have an issue. You know, the Church of Rome was uh, multicultural. They have Jews, and then they, they also have people from all over the world. Romans, citizens. And it seems like the Gentiles were being mean towards the, the Jews. They were like, well, you guys, it's because of you that Jesus had to die on the cross. Paul is saying, do not be arrogant. Do not but, he says, tremble. Paul reminded them that they were saved not because of their own goodness, but because of God's saving promises. But sadly, you and me, we also tend to use comparisons, right? It's true or not? Is it? We all tend to use comparisons, like a measuring stick. Assessing our own worthiness based on others' victory or failures. Beating ourselves or one another down with it. But we need to understand that this is just sinful behavior. Do not compare to anyone. Comparison is at its core selfish and prideful because it takes the focus off of God and others and keep it on ourselves. Verse 21 shows that this is not the type of behavior that God approves. Rather, he even condemns it. So the question is how we fight the urge to compare ourselves with others. Because we all tend to do that. In verse 20, Paul gives us an exhortation. It says, do not be arrogant, but tremble. Whenever you find you're comparing yourself to someone else, because that will happen, you should go right up to that person and compliment them on the very thing you are jealous of or you are comparing yourself to. Amen? Are you willing to do that? Stop, stop comparing yourself to others. Stop. It's not good for you. It's not healthy, all right? Not healthy. Not good. I will not compare myself to anyone. You know why? Because I know that I'm unique before God. And you too. So you can't compare yourself. You can't compare. Well, I don't know. Roger preaching away. I don't like. I like the other guy. I like this guy. Well, that's okay. <laughs> taste this. You know, you have your own taste. But this is the word of God. And I will not compare myself to anyone. Alright? Because that's not healthy. That's not good. And my recommendation to you is that you stop doing it too. Do not compare your house to the neighbors. <laughs> you know, trying to compete to see who has the, the, better, the better yard or garden, whatever. Well, now it's kind of hard to have a garden. Do not compare yourself. It's not healthy. This is the word. And it says, do not be arrogant. You know why? Because the Bible says that God is, He doesn't, he doesn't want to have anything to do with arrogant people why why not because there's when you are with God there's no room for you <laughs> and the arrogant is, is, is there with God God give me some room I, I want to do something I want to do my will and God is like no I, I'm, I want to do my will 
in your life. So do not be arrogant, but tremble. In verse, uh, this is a phrase that, that I wrote this week. I want to share it with you. Let's not be people who compare each other. Let's be people who champion each other. Amen? So go ahead and champion someone. You know, give, give, give a word of encouragement. Finally, verse 21 shows that it is possible, and I'm going to slow down here because it's something that I need to teach. It is possible for us believers to be removed of the holy tree, the people of God. If we become arrogant and fail to continue standing in faith, believing and obeying our Lord. So, yeah, it is possible to lose your salvation? Yes. That's what Paul is saying right here in Romans 11. What is, what is then the correct attitude we should have towards God and our salvation? Well, the answer from God is the fear, to have the fear of God. And I want to explain this. What, what, what is this of the fear of God? I thought that God was a loving Father. I don't, I don't want to be afraid of Him. It's not that kind of fear. It's not the... You know, it's not the paralyzing kind of fear, but rather it's the kind of humble fear that does not take God or salvation for granted. You respect God. You know that you are before Him, so you respect Him in everything you do. You know, you realize that He's the Almighty, and so you come before Him in awe and praise. Verses 22 to 24 says, Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, Sternness to those who fail, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. He's speaking to the Gentiles. You also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Look at this verse. It's amazing. We're talking about a nation that just turned away from God. From the God that gave them all the promises. They just decided to turn away from him. They crucify his son. They, they, they reject Jesus. And God, God here is saying, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them again. You know why? Because God is always offer us a second chance in life. Always. You have a second chance in God. Maybe, maybe people will not give you second chances, but God will always do you have a second chance in God. In these verses, God is calling us to contemplate His kindness and also sternness. His sternness has been the portion of Jews who have, been, who have not believed, but His kindness has been poured out to the, on, on the Gentiles. Still, they must persevere in faith. We need to persevere in our faith. We need to continue growing in Christ. We need to obey Him so we can be you know, uh, grafted in. We can remain there. Being part of his people, being part of his olive tree. Verses like this ones show us that, God, that in God there are always second chances. Now, if someone you love has taken the decision of turning away from Christ, what do you do? Family member, friend, he just took the decision of turning away from God. Well, this verse teaches us that God has not closed the doors of heaven and his church to anyone, doors are open. To all of us. He's, not, he, he's, he's longing to see them come back. He's longing to see all the prodigals come back home. Do you believe that? All the prodigals. You and me, we were prodigals. Since we were born. And he called us home. And he's calling all those prodigals to come back. 
come back. There's love here. There's mercy here. There's grace. So my, my prayer today, and I invite you to have this, the same prayer today or maybe this week, is Heavenly Father, is there someone who has turned away from you that you want me to pray for and even, well, talk to? And I challenge you to, to do this, to make this prayer. Because the Holy Spirit will speak to you, no doubt. But then you will have to respond in obedience. Verses 25 to 29 says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until a full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. In this section, Paul discloses a mystery to, to the Gentiles to prevent them for, from being proud. And the mystery has three elements. Number one, at this time in salvation history, the maturity of Israel has been hardened when Paul wrote this. During this same time, the full number of Gentiles is being saved right now. And God will do a new work in the future in which he will save all Israel. Future. So in the past, hardening. In the meantime... The door is open to, to the whole world. And at the end, God will restore Israel. The affirmation of verse 26 is that states that all Israel will be saved refers to the salvation of the end time generation of the Jewish people in, in the future. Now the question is, when will the salvation of Israel take place? The answer, according to the Bible, is at the second coming of Jesus. You know, Jesus came the first time as a lamb. He is coming again as a king. A king that is coming to this world to judge. A king that is coming to this world to, to establish his kingdom. And you know what? Bible says in Zechariah chapter 14 that the first place that he will set his feet, you know where, where, where will be that place? Israel, the Mount of Olives. He's coming to Israel. And the whole Israel will see the Messiah coming on the clouds. And you know what, what will happen? They will bow down. They will say, yes, you are the Messiah. But it's so good to know that, that reality of that truth right now. Yes. We know that He is the Messiah. We have believed in Him. He's our Messiah. And that will happen really close. Really soon. Really soon. My brother Jesus, just like this promise, uh, Paul is, is, is quoting here the prophets. And he says, the deliverer will come from Zion. We believe that Jesus is our deliverer too. He's the deliverer of Israel. And he's also the deliverer of his church. He has delivered you from sin, condemnation, and death. So you now may have peace with God. So, so, so now you may have life. The Bible says that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's your deliverer. There's no demon, sickness, poverty, or anything that could stand before this great king. Because he's the deliverer. Have you experienced Him? He has the power to deliver you right now. From any affliction in your heart. From any emotion that, that maybe is controlling your life. Controlling your decisions. He has the power. My Jesus, the deliverer. The deliverer of His people. And that's the Jesus we serve. 
our deliverer. Verses 30 to 32 says, Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. So it's all about God's mercy. It's not about our works or how we can achieve this salvation. It's about His mercy. It's about His love. It is not because of your own goodness that you are saved. It's because of God's mercy. Not because of your good works, but because of His love for you. So my prayer today is, Lord, let me contemplate your mercy with awe and thankfulness. What do you want me to do in response to your love and mercy? I invite you to do that prayer this week. And finally, verses 33 till the end, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Yes. Amen. Amen. Paul is saying, okay, I'm just finishing writing about God, God's plan of salvation. Chapter 1 to 11. Now let's praise. And that's what he does in these final verses. He prays God for his love and mercy. This final section shows that God's wisdom and ways are far beyond the understanding of human beings. And hence he deserves all the glory. This verse teaches us that no human being knows the mind of the Lord apart from revelation. And no one can serve as God's advisor. Likewise, no one ultimately gives anything to God. Instead, everything humans have is a gift from God. Everything you have, everything you own, it's not yours, it's God's. God owes us nothing. Rather, we owe to Him everything. Everything. On many occasions, the lack of gratitude to God on our part speaks of the lack of appreciation for His person and for all that He has given us. When was the last time that you just stopped and said, God, thank you? Just make a list of things like, God, I thank you for my wife. Thank you for my daughter. I thank you, Lord, for the car I have. I know that sometimes it's, you know gets broken, but that's all right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for my mother-in-law. God mercy. God bless her soul. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Just make a list and come before him with thankfulness. Because you know what? Thankfulness speaks of your heart. Ingratitude is the sign of an arrogant person. Not saying thank you. Come before him and say, Lord, I'm so thankful for Jesus. So thankful for my family. So thankful for what we have. It may, it may not be much. But it's yours. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. And you know what? When you start th thanking Him and praising Him, that will change your reality. That will change you. Verse 36 is one of the verses that I love. It says... Let's read it again. It says, From Him are all things, through Him are all things, and for Him are all things. From Him are all things. That means that everything we have is from Him. 
Through him are all things. That means that every situation that we live is under his government, control, and sovereignty. He knows what you're going through. And he's with you. To not be despair. And then it says, for him are all things. All that we are, have, and do pursue as a single goal. To give God the glory and the honor. I wrote this prayer. Lord, please show me what is distracting me from thanking you and serving you out of love and gratefulness. What is this distracting me right now? God's saving plan brings him great honor, praise, and glory forever and ever. And this is Romans chapter 11. We made it. <laughs> 36 verses. I believe that Holy Spirit wants to speak to your heart right now. And he wants to bring a rhema word to you. And I invite the worship team to, to come to the altar. We're going we're gonna to sing to our Lord. Maybe that song again, Good, Good Father. Because he is truly our good, good father. And I invite you to have a moment before the Lord. A moment of silence and praise. And just thinking on everything that you heard today. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. And I, I want to say this to someone here in the room. God is not changed by your situation. He's not changing. Rather, He's powerful to change your situation. I don't know who, who I am speaking to, but the Lord put that phrase at the end of the sermon. Just write it down at the end. And I was like, Lord, what that has to do with everything? <laughs> you want to say it again? All right. God is not changed by your situation. He doesn't change. But rather, He's powerful to change your situation. And you know when He wants to do it? He wants to do it right now. He wants to do it right now. So you will have a different week. He wants to work in you. Let's have a moment before, before the Lord. Let's, let's allow the Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts as we, as we sing about His love. And as we do this, I pray and I, I, and I ask you to pray. Say, Lord, I need your help this week. I know that this is just a season. And just confess that. It says, enemy, I know that this is just a season. You have no hold on me. This is just a season. This is just a specific time. That's it. And you know what, devil? Even God, during this hard time, He's working in me. And He's showing His love. He's showing me His mercy. And I, and I will leave this place, this of solitude. Victorious in my Christ. Victorious in my Jesus. Oh, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place with Your glory. Oh, come and minister, minister our hearts as we seek you, as we come before you broken. The presence of the Lord is here. The living God is here. Open your heart and open your mind to what He wants to do in you. And let Him 
deliverer. in your heart you're hurt the Holy Spirit is here to heal you and deliver you allow him say Lord I'm here all in all to you I need you Lord he's calling those desperate people to the altar those who are desperate those who are in need of him urgently he's calling them come 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 and receive from heaven the answer, the strength, the power, the salvation, the healing, the miracles that I'm longing to give you right now in the name of Jesus. Yes, let's sing this song.